Hi, everybody, and welcome to the new episode of the End the Cells podcast. I hope everyone's keeping well who's listening. This podcast is going to have four people on the panel today. We'll have myself, Stephen, John, my co-host, Anthony, a show regular, and also James Forrest from the Celtic blog. How are you all? Uh, not bad. <laughs> all right, mate, as well as can be expected. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, I've actually went with a title of this podcast. Someone said it was during the weekend, it actually makes a lot of sense basically about the Celtic squad they just can't wait for it to be over and I think it's quite evident from the game at the weekend against Rangers or rivals across the city that that's the case there was just nothing from the team and the game finished 4-1 to Rangers and quite deservedly so we all have to admit that I think we were we were just shite to be honest guys and James I want to come to yourself first we've had two days two days or so to reflect back on the events we've seen during the weekend what's your overriding emotion towards that game the same overriding emotions I've had for the whole season. I was glad the game ended and I can't wait for the season to be finished. Uh, it was obvious from the minute McGregor got sent off it was going to be a long, long day because although we've seen Celtic managers go to Ibrox and uh, go a man down and come back and win the game, that uh, we never had that belief under Lennon. We certainly didn't have it under Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy himself said it was the turning point of the game. Although there was plenty of the game left, you know, that just sums up the whole the attitude at the whole club. It's a defeatist mentality right across the board. And I just couldn't wait for the game to be done. And I can't wait for the season to be done. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I, f- I think that's the, the emotion of all of us, to be honest, because look, even if you look at the goals and stuff, I know Celtic's uh, scored and things, but that there for me is just a side part of the actual game itself. The, the game. As, as you said, James, when Colin McGregor got sent off, you kind of thought to yourself, oh, here we go, this is going to be a long afternoon. As we went there before with Rodgers and stuff and one with 10 men, but there's no game plan with Kennedy. It just seems to be a Lenny 2.0 where it seems like he's on the phone to him, pick this team for me, help me out. And yeah. if you look at some if you look at some of the goals as well, Anthony, come to yourself. Some of the goals, I don't mean to single me poor young, young Stephen Welsh out, but that goal at the end was just laughable for me. And it's quite... It's it's for me. It, it kind of shows where Celtic are at the moment that we're relying on a young guy like Stephen Wells to come in and plug them gaps when we should have had quality. Saying we should have had people in and ready to go. But what, what was your feeling towards, especially the goals we were conceding? I think it was just again there was no no improvement in what we've been what we've been seeing as fans. Yeah, I mean the the, the game went um, very much similar to a lot of games have went this this year, Stephen. Uh, just. Calamity at the back and uh, not being clinical enough uh, in front of goal. It's uh, although the, the it was a higher margin of, of victory for Rangers on Sunday. In many ways, the game sort of went very much the same way as the, the Scottish Cup in terms of they did what they needed to do, and um, but then we we had chances in, to get back in the game, and you know several clear cut chances and didn't take them. Um, I would probably say the one I was most, in terms of the goals conceded, the one I was most um, furious about, I would say, was the the second goal. Because, I mean, it's just, again, not doing the basics properly. Uh, failing to defend, failing, failing to stop the cross for a start. Um, I mean, it's it's getting actually quite sad seeing our, our, um, our captain, um, who's been magnificent for so many years. You know, he got turned inside out by Morelos. But then for... A guy who last week we were saying could potentially be one of the few um, bright spots in the season, Chris Iyer, ducking out the way. And then, I'm sorry, but Scott Bain's got to do better for me as well. It was just 
and especially after the fight we've just went a man down but then got ourselves back in the game um, you've got to do the basics better and um, like so many other times this season we've failed to do so yeah I, I think uh, I've seen a like a, a sort of analysis of Scott Brown over the last um, couple of not seasons but a couple of months as well I think it was by Boys Analytics on uh, Twitter and I've seen them get a lot of flack for it but I thought it was well pointed out that the fact is his sort of game his legs and the pace of the game was catching up with Scott Brown and sentimentality for me has kept them in the team John and if you look at the goals as well like Kemar Roof he wandered into the box unmarked bang header and the Morelos goal you're looking at a triple prong there Scott Brown for me didn't do enough and then you look at the Christopher Harris, he's afraid of getting his hair, hair wrecked, so he ducks, and then Scott Bain can't even touch the bar, he's like five foot five or something, so, I mean, for for me, that game in the weekend is, as James said at the start, it's just, you just can't wait for the season to be over. Uh, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement uh, with James there, um, it was just a result to forget really um summed up the season pretty much to a t um like he says the the that second booking for mcgregor was certainly a turning point uh, and you knew the odds were against you um from that point onwards but i thought up until that point we seemed all right um and i guess prior to the game it's like we've always got and well myself anyway um confident that there's enough about us to be able to get something out of those games but uh, and we've shown uh, in previous Old Firm games as well um, that we've controlled the game uh, in large parts, um, but it's a failure to create and finish chances that's cost us. So, um, went into this game with a wee bit of confidence, I guess, uh, thinking we might do something, but saw, again, uh, Kennedy never made any changes, any real changes, um, and uh, his tactical decisions towards the latter uh, end of the second half was abysmal and it just shows you how tactically inept he is uh, and uh, it's just uh, again it just sums up the season RT and I'm, I just want to get this out and done and move on yeah I'm, I'm actually I'm actually glad you brought the lineup up I, I come to yourself from Anthony for this what really struck me what we should know if you're a manager especially and you're trying to throw up surprises or tactical just changes something to throw the other team off off the scent of what we're going to do what what do you think think Kennedy's thinking to himself the night before a game? He's sitting going, What can I do to shock this Rangers team? Because they have our number the way we play and they're quite used to that this season anyway. What can I do? And then you wake up the next morning, the Celtic fans, you get a bit of buzzing about the lineup come night, and then you see the likes of John Joe Kennedy keep keeping his place and you go through the team, Edward starting again, even though he couldn't give two flyers. And I know he scored, but again that's from Ayer hitting it off and basically on his shoulder. But honestly, why is it the Kennedy for me? He doesn't have any balls about him. I suppose he's just trying. You know, he's trying to trying to steer a a big ship through very stormy waters at the minute. Um, I, that's not me sticking up for him. I, I kind of, you know, gave a big sigh when I seen the lineup um, as as much as a, a lot of folk uh, did. I was happy to see James Forrest starting the match. I must admit, um, and I think although the the way the game went. It, it didn't allow for, for him to get as much on the ball as he could. Um, but you could see that having him, as we said in the last podcast, actually, him being in the team just does give that extra bit of balance. Um, I, I, if it was up to me, you know, I think I was on last Tuesday and I did say that I, I would have possibly started um, without Eddie because I, th- I thought he's, he's 
effort in the, the cup uh, game sort of merited being dropped but you know I, I think as much as I mean I was as, as big a critic of Kenny as, uh, as any of the rest of the guys on the performance in the cup game but I just wasn't sure you know can you, can you really throw young Ralston and who, who literally has it I'm not even sure if he's, he's featured um, this year um, so it would have been he would possibly say for, for nothing else than Matt Sharpness he would have played Kenny but as as he's done pretty much since he's came in he's not really done anything at all um, if Kennedy was wanting to use these games um, since Neil uh, was removed from his position to try and stamp he's a, you know to try and put his own stamp on the team to try and merit getting the job permanently I know, I know I'm trying to say that with a straight face Um <laughs> then he's he's not really went, he's not really went about it in any sort of he's not offered anything different. Uh, I definitely agree with you on that, Stephen. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but I think it's eight games. He's won three, and one of them was against Falkirk, so he's won mm. two games in, in in the in the Scottish League, so to speak. But coming to yourself, James, when you seen the lineup, I want, actually want to hear from your point of view here. Would you, would you have went with what Kennedy did, or would you have went a wee bit bolder? What what would you have changed if you had the chance? Ah well, huh. this is a subject. This is this is one of the subjects that I, I, I don't like talking about and I don't like thinking about. But one of the one of the things that's characterised this entire season has been the utter selfishness of people at Celtic Park, and I think the lineup was another example of selfishness. Kennedy is more interested, it seems to me and his own reputation surviving this, then he has a bit doing right by the club. And Lennon was the same. Lennon would play the same players every single week because they were the veterans and all that, and he didn't want to take a chance on playing some of the younger guys and losing. And he lost anyway most weeks when it mattered. And Kennedy's the same. Kennedy had a chance to bed in the players who we're going to need next season. And he's chosen again to go with the same old, same old. He's chosen to go with the players that are safe, the players that he knows the players that have have done it before, they've just not done it this season. And I, I understand that the guy has his own career to think about when he leaves Celtic Park. But no, nah, it's uh, it, it, it took the cowards away. It really did. It was a cowardly team selection. It was a cowardly lineup. The tactics were absolutely deplorably negative. Playing eleven men behind the ball most of the time, letting them run around the pitch. You know, without pressing them, without making any effort to get in their faces, damage limitation tactics, and a game that we want to try and win to salvage something for the season. I just uh, honestly had enough of these guys. Selfishness and cowardice have characterised this entire season. People putting themselves before the greater good of the club, and that is what it did at the weekend. Absolutely deplorable. I think, I think as well, James, it's actually right to point that out. We've seen from the board, right down to the playing staff and coaching staff, that it seems to be running through the whole club where it's like we think of our, ourselves before we actually think, that, as you said, the greater good of the club. And from my point of view, John, I thought it would be a perfect perfect opportunity, even though it's a game, a derby game, and a, do you know what I mean, how special that is. But James is right. These players, I'm fed up with them as well. And we've argued tooth and tongue, us guys as well, about the likes of Lee Griffiths, the likes of Ayeri, and the likes of anybody really, Kenny and stuff, and Laxalt. But would you would you have went bolder and give the likes of... Now, I'm going to throw a name out here. We've talked about him maybe last week as well, but 
Carmoko Dembele wasn't even in the match day squad, which is just baffling to me. If you if you look at the options on the bench, we had Maggie Johnson back, which is great to see, but again, his body's like a skip, it just dissolves. So we don't know how long he's going to be back for. But what would you have done anything differently, John, in terms of that lineup? Definitely looking back, man. Obviously, yeah. No, I mean, I think we said it before. Um, and I, I was quite adamant before as well in the previous episode that we done that um, I was confident that Lee was going to get uh, Lee Griffiths was going to get a start. Um, I felt that it was time we just stopped starting Eddie because he's not been performing up to par this year. There was a chance for for Griff to uh, sort of prove that he, he's he, he warrants given another chance uh, to put himself in the plans for for Clark as well coming up. Um, for the, the international games and, and get yourself back in that picture as well. But what absolutely baffled me is, like he says, that we didn't barely wasn't even on the bench. Um, granted, Forrest is back, and starting Forrest seemed like the, the logical choice. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. But no having uh, a natural uh, sort of uh, wide player backing up that just because ultimately we did end up taking Forrest off. And the. the Kennedy, it, it baffles me as well because pretty much all season, and especially since Kennedy's taken over, as, as James says, he's done nothing um, to to sort of for the good of the club. Uh, I don't know what he's going, what's going through his head, or what what the hell Strachan and him discuss prior to games when they're when they're going through team selections and everything else. But it's by and large he's just sticking to the exact same formula uh, that failed Neil Lennon. Uh, there's no there's need fresh ideas. There's nothing new. And when you're you're two goals down uh, in an old firm game um, or a derby game, and you you're looking at ultimately you need to score goals, right? Uh, and with this Kennedy day, he takes Edward off. Yeah. He puts Mikey Johnson on, and you're left with ten guys on the park, not one natural striker. And you think to yourself, you're just scratching your head, and you're you're like. As fans all season, we've seen it. We we we're asking questions and we discuss this every week. That about the changes that he needs to make in the team and the the tactical side of things and and what you could do differently. And it's not just us fans across the world. Essentially, anybody who's watching this team at the minute can see something needs to be done differently. And this is a guy who's been in the club all his life, and. I don't know what it is or why, but these these people in these positions getting paid phenomenal money can't see it, and they can't make these changes, and they can't do what we can all see and we, that we're all feeling. And it, it just absolutely baffles me that a he was his name still is even considered and was being discussed for a permanent job, uh, a permanent role. Um, I I just he is part of the problem. He should have left with Lennon uh, along with Strachan. Um, we shouldn't hold on to this sentimentality just because he's been at the club for some time. He's been a servant in a coaching role and all the rest of it. It's like we, we own Sahamore, as Stephen has alluded to in previous episodes. Does he have Sahamore on this board that, like, you, you, you got to start asking? I mean, I know it might sound silly, but you need to really start asking questions. Like, what has he done to warn it? Yeah. And even now, like he says, he's he's won nothing since he came in. He he's done nothing except new. He's done nothing fresh. It's the same old story. And if you could argue even worse, and and Anthony, you said in the group chat as well, even during the game uh, when he made that substitution, he took Edward off. <clears throat> excuse me. That if you're Lee Griffiths, or or you're a Yeti and you're sitting there, and he's taking off your only striker, 
you've got no strikers on the park, you've got two sitting there on the bench. You're thinking, what am I even doing? Why bother? And you, you, you I wouldn't, I wouldn't put up, I wouldn't blame them if they did just walk away, walk up the tunnel. That that must be really disheartening for these guys as well. And it, it's any wonder that their heads have dropped because this is the, the the perfect time. There's nothing really to play for. It's a chance to bed in these new guys, like James says, guys that are going to be here next year. Give them a chance and to show their worth. And Kennedy again is just sticking with the same old format, the same old story, like the sentimentality for Brown. Even they started for me ahead of Sorrow, but it's his last derby game before he leaves Celtic, eh? so he has to play. And and Kent just ghosted by him like he wasn't even there for the majority of that game. And like you said, his legs are gone. And I love Brown. Um, And don't get me wrong, I think he's been a great servant for the club, a fantastic captain, but you have to look at the bigger picture. And we've not done that at all this season. And it's, it's been absolutely woeful. Yeah, I think it brings it back to the point as well. For the good of the club, as James said, that it seems to be it seems to be at the moment Celtic's a club that owes everyone favours, whether it's old friends or old mm. players. Come on, come on in here, and here's a job for you for life. But speaking about what Kenny might have, now just to bring bring a wee bit of left field in here, I'm not being serious about this, but he might have pictures of the time they were all in the shards together, and then he got the job. Could have been quite saucy, you never know. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> for me, I'm looking at this right. And I sent, I sent you guys the stuff that we're going to talk about um, last night, uh, just to be aware of it anyway. And for me, I'm going to come out and say this. I think the players, the staff, the board should be absolutely ashamed of what's happened this season. From start to finish, uh, the Derby games, the European campaign, both cup competitions, the league, it's been an absolute catastrophe. And I don't buy the whole narrative that Celtic fans are spoilt. We think we're entitled. It's not that. It's the bar the club have set. And they yeah. fell so far below this bar this season due to lack of competence, due to lack of communication. It seems like to me right now, as we stand at the moment, the board have just forgot about supporters altogether. I've seen I've seen across the city, not to always bring them up, but it's it's, it's, it's comparison anyway. The, our closest club in terms of like size, capacity of stadiums and stuff, they've already sold 21,000 season tickets. They're banned into the methods for next season already. And we're still scraping around, not knowing what's going to happen next season. Many expected today, which is Tuesday, that something would be announced from the club, but again, it's silent. Uh, James, I'll come to yourself for this one. Are you in much of agreement with me, or do you think I'm being a wee bit too harsh there? I don't think the words being too harsh are even applicable when it comes to the people at your club right now, because um, as it... (laughs) They say that success has a, a thousand fathers and failures are an orphan. Well, this is this is failure on a on a colossal scale. And there are so many authors and there are so many people responsible for this failure that you can only start at the bottom and work your way up. So you start with this team. It's clear that there are a number of them who don't want to be there and who didn't want to be there. There are a number of them who, for whatever reason, couldn't get themselves motivated in this most historic of seasons. They colossally failed us here. Then you have the coaches who couldn't get some of these players fit until the season had only weeks left in it. And some of them still aren't fit. Mm-hmm. Then you have the manager whose job is to make sure the coaches are doing their job and to make sure the players are properly motivated and that the players who are in the first team are the guys who care and the guys who get it and the guys who are going to give 100%. And his job is to pick the tactics and decide how the team lines up, and they failed. 
and above him is the board of directors who are supposed to make sure that the manager's doing his job. And they screwed up because we all saw that Lennon wasn't getting the job done months ago. And they didn't act until February. And they still haven't replaced them yet. And then above the board is Dermot Desmond, the absentee landlord. And his is probably the worst feeling because he's supposed to be this business genius and this tough guy and this hard man and doesn't like to lose. Well, he's lost this year colossally. And his response to all of it was to blame us for it. As if it's our fault. Collective failure from the bottom all the way up. Everybody failed us here. Everybody screwed up. There's no such thing as being too harsh on these people. None of them should be in Celtic Park. I totally, I, I mean, I can feel the passion coming off you there, James. From the top to the bottom, as I said, I think it's just been abysmal what we've seen this season. And the fact that we're coming in to the towards the end of the season, as you rightly alluded to there, we still have no word of a replacement. I mean, Roma replaced our manager within three hours today. Three yeah, hours of business. Yeah, they managed to replace their manager, and fair enough, it was of Jose Mourinho, a high-profile manager, but surely the God Sally could come out and say something or give us something. Now, Anthony, you're the poet of the group. I always call you the poet of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want you to put down your pen and your paper and stop writing for a minute. Tell me how you're feeling towards the club as a whole right now. I'm feeling very... It's a mirror image compared to, to what James is, is feeling right now and he's, he's summed up all my anger and frustration uh, perfectly. Um, and I, I do believe that um, Desmond is is one of the main main architects of it. And of course, his, uh, his tag team partner, Mr. Lawwell. They always, the last time Dermot Desmond came out and spoke, he, he spoke about they know that that remember airing their frustrations about how long this management hey you know this recruitment process is taken, and he used the term due diligence. I, I mean, there is but when you when you actually think back throughout the entire term, whether or not the manager or not has been successful at Celtic, there has never actually been any pro with the exception of Brendan Rodgers, of course, who as it as we we know, was driven more by Dermot's ego being bruised on the back of a semi-final defeat against Rangers. We don't know have, if we'd won that semi-final, would, would Brendan have ever happened? We'll never know, but thankfully, I suppose it did. But you look back to anyone that's seen the, the, the history uh, DVD of, of Celtic when it cuts to the, around the time of, of Martin leaving and Gordon Stratton coming in. Gordon Stratton confirms that he was basically hired uh, on a drinking session at Cheltenham Festival. You then, you, you you then now thankfully, Gordon Stratton had years of experience in managing in England's top flight, and was able to was able to be successful with less resources than Martin O'Neill. So um, that is, I, I accept that Gordon Stratton. I'll defend to the hilt with, with his accolades at Celtic, but then when the when the time came for Gordon to move on, and to be fair to him, he left at the right time. He, he maybe stayed a season too long, but I think I suppose having earned the third in a title in a row, he'd earned the right to stay. Um, and then again, it all went Pete Tong the minute that the people at the top of the club needed to be bold and make the change from the position of strength. And we then ended up with, our, I think, our third or fourth choice that summer, Tony Mowbray, a guy who'd just been relegated from the English top flight, and ahead of guys, I mean, I think back then, sort of Davy Moyes was still at Everton, he was the sort of, the sort of Brendan type appointment that it would have been at that time, we weren't overly, um, sort of hopeful that he would come, but that didn't happen, 
And then when that inevitably went uh, tits up, as it were, so to speak, we, we hired Neil Lennon, a guy with no management experience whatsoever. Um, to, to, just to, to put it into perspective, John Kennedy is now more experienced to be Celtic manager than what Neil Lennon was in 2010. Um, um, and then, of course, Neil left in 2014. Along came Ronnie, who did, to be fair to him, um, install a lot of the the sort of um, athlete first and nutrition and fitness, all of those ideas that Brendan was really able to build on. But Ronnie Dyla was given the job because he was going to be coming in as the assistant and then and then Neil resigned. So there was no due diligence to replace Neil Lennon. And we then got Brendan on the back of that, um, which, uh, you know, as, as I said before, and I, I don't, and, and to coin a phrase from uh, from one of the other boys in the group, Ross, that the stars sort of aligned for, for us to get Rodgers. Um, but even once he left, we got Neil back in. So that this, um, and then we hired him in the shower on the back of a cup final victory. So the idea that this these guys ever have any sort of level of, to coin the phrase, due diligence um, is is laughable. And but and it gets frustrating the more you the more you highlight this to people that still cling to the the absolute myth that these guys are financial and business gods. The, the more you point out their flaws, the more they accuse you of being a spoiled brat or, you know, you know, entitled. And it is, it's insane. It is insane to, to, for people to still cling to the fact for me that, this, that these guys basically are, are fit to run this club. It is, um, Dominic Mackay, forget about the rebuilding on the park, the the rebuild off the park that Dominic Mackay is essentially going to be charged with a lot of, is you could argue is even bigger than what is needed on the park. Yeah, but what's scary for me as well, Anthony, you bring up some great points. Now, I'm going to speak about Peter Doll just for a second. I know he's not everyone's favourite person. When he first came in the Celtic, I think on his contract, I said he's going to be in charge of non-football matters. I think everyone saw that and seen that but over the years he's got this kind of thing about him where he's, he thinks he's a presence and he's became a de facto director of football and as James actually pointed out he, he's one of the reasons why basically the main reason why Rogers was uh I used to know the Celtic signing players and stuff about his say so and Rogers obviously as a high profile manager as he was before and then he left he, he won't stick for that but coming to yourself John I've been hearing from certain individuals and certain outlets that there is murmurings that Peter Lowell is going to be staying on at Celtic <laughs> in, in terms in terms of being on the I, I don't know the exact role, but I think it's the board in some high or like a non-director capacity. Is that a bad well, thing? Because for, for me, that's that shouldn't be happening. If Dominic McKay is coming in as fresh, he doesn't need anyone else devoiding his ideas. I mean, the, 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 there's definitely some weight in that because law, as I understand, is uh, he, he has a large portion of shares at Celtic, so. Um, I believe that that gives him the right to be present for these kind of board meetings and things like that. So whether or not he opts to, to sell those shares or he decides that he's going to keep hold of them and still have a say on matters going forward uh, remains to be seen. But it, it, it's possible. It's entirely possible. Um, but um, just touching on, uh, again, very sort of passionate and, and, and fantastic points, both of you guys, James and Anthony, brought up regarding these guys. At the top level at Celtic Park, these 
Dominic Mackay needs to ensure when he comes in here that he's no letting the board walk out of the tap room, in essence, mm. right? He needs to... I'm hoping and I'm praying that this appointment is done because a, his ability to do the job as a chief executive officer, which we know Law was originally brought in for because he had this sort of financial acumen. He, he, he was he was a good businessman in that sense. And, and by and large, if, if, if we're being honest, what he's done for Celtic in terms of their finances, uh, he's done a great job. But it's his meddling and sticking his fingers in uh, and sticking his neb in where it comes to player signings and everything else, taking up this de facto director of football role without any real sort of consent um, and, and, and no getting any inform or, or, or any sort of acknowledgement or, or running it by managers and things like that is exactly why we, we lost to like Sir Rogers and why potentially when these stories come out and the, the managers, they'll speak to each other as well. So anybody, I, I, I suspect that we've been approaching or even had words with, um, I've, I've been speaking to people within football and they'll be told these things. Um, I think Law leaving uh, is a good sign, um, absolutely, mm -hmm. because it's time for him to go. Um, I'm hoping Mackay comes in and he does a job as a chief executive officer, non-football related matters, stick to the business end of things uh, and deal with it that way. Uh, let the manager or whoever he brings in as a director of football, whoever he's, he's, his right hand is, and whoever he's going to be working with day to day, let them make those decisions and let them take the club forward. Desmond needs to stay out it. Then what their role at this point is solely ensuring that the right man for the job is brought in, which I firmly believe is going to be Eddie. Um, I, I don't think it's a matter of if, it's just a matter of when at this point. There's far too much going on. There's far too much talk about it for it to for it to just be hearsay in a rumor. Uh, so it looks like um, that that appointment is going to happen. It's just a matter of when. We need to get it done, get it out of the line as quickly as possible. As he says, we well, were hoping to hear something today, but. Again, what, what, I don't know why we get hopes up when it comes to the Celtic board and making announcements because, as you say, we're approaching, what, 69, 70 days now uh, since since Lennon left uh, and we've not heard a peep from him or we've not been given absolutely anything and, and, and we, we, we touched on it repeatedly. Uh, and, yeah. and that in itself uh, is an absolute shambles. And these, uh, ultimately, these guys are coming up to the point where now they're going to need to be issuing season ticket renewals and if they're expecting Celtic fans after the season, we've just had their silence, their their complete disregard for the the, the support base, uh, 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 and and as a whole, really, and the they just lack like they're so so far away for the actual supporters of the club. There's something needs to change, and that includes even at board level. Uh, and as I say, it's, it, it, it's paramount and, and made a, a fantastic point. It's paramount that the guys, that, that Dominic Mackay coming in, the, the rebuild uh, for that level uh, is just as important going forward as the actual team itself because we need to make sure that these guys are doing their job as they were actually brought in to do uh, and not pretending to be something they're not. Um, and, and just let the, the guys that actually know football and know their jobs, know their roles to, to, to do what they need to do. Um, and, and just, it, it, it it's just an absolute mess at the minute. And we can only speculate, we can only, we, we don't know, we still don't know what the hell is going to happen with, with the whole managerial thing, whether, like I said, it's a matter of if, uh, a matter of when, not if for me. But it's like, how long are you going to drag it out before you actually give the Celtic fans something? Um, I don't know when the, the, the season ticket renewals actually go out. 
Uh, but I suspect that they'll probably do something just prior to that, just to pull them all in again. Uh, yeah. Which in itself is shocking because they're dragging it out the way they are, uh, and the silence coming for the board has been absolutely deafening. Yeah, and see as well. To be honest, I I just want to make something clear on the podcast as well. We're not aiming to be like too political in in terms of what's going on in the Celtic background, but I think Anthony rightly pointed out, and James as well, that there's a bit there's a rebuild in them departments too because we've lost the the head of recruitment. We're looking. We're still looking for a director of football, and nothing's been solved in that area. So, for the rebuild to be successful on the field, you needed the bricks in place behind the team as well, so the manager can fall back on that and look for players and vice versa. So it needs to be all working on the hemp seat. So I don't want listeners to get lost in what we're talking about. We're just just clearly pointing out face value what we can see as fans. But just to move on, uh, James, come to yourself. John brought up Eddie Howe there, and yes, listeners and uh, viewers and stuff, we're going to go there again. I the, the longer this goes on for me, um, James, this rebuild, as Anthony said um, last week, it's mammoth. It's it's a huge task, and day by day by day, you're going to yourself, why can we not hear something from the board? And what, can you not just be Eddie Howe? Could Eddie Howe not say, look, announce me, and we'll sort out the rest soon? I, I just don't know what's going on here. And we're just clinging to this hope that Eddie Howe's in the background being like Superman, pressing buttons. I need this guy. I need this guy. I need this guy. But where where you stand on the whole situation, James? Oh well, uh, I mean, obviously, if if we get Eddie Howe, then at least some of this waiting has been worth it. At least some of it has. But there's a real danger now. Um, well, there's two dangers here. I mean, the, 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 there's the obvious one and there's the less obvious one. The obvious one is the time it's taken is is seriously curtailing our chances of having any kind of squad up and running for the start of next season. And in particular, the qualifiers for European football. And we need to be ready for those. I don't think we're going to go through the Champions League qualifiers. The road is too difficult when you're not in the Champions group. It's hard enough for us when we're in the Champions group, but it's extremely difficult when you're not. Um, The chances are that we're going to get a top five leagues club at some point, and that's curtains, I think, at this point. Um, but the danger is that we're not even going to be ready for a tough Europa League qualifier as well. And that really scares the hell out of me, that we drop out the Champions League into the Europa League and we're not even ready for that level. And if we go out of Europe before the ball is even properly kicked in the league, we are in a lot of trouble. We are in a lot of trouble. Whoever the top earner is at the club at that point will probably get sold before the window shuts. And that'll be Cal McGregor. Bye-bye. And we'll have no time to replace the guy. I, I can just see the disaster of next season starting to unfold already, the longer this takes. And, of course, the less obvious worry is it because we haven't got Eddie House name on a piece of paper yet. Um, there's always a chance that something happens that's completely unforeseen that makes it impossible for Eddie Howe to take the job. You know, whether it's Eddie Howe changes his mind, whether it's his family changes their minds, whether it's something in his personal life or private life, that goes wrong for some reason why he can't leave England, it's always going to be there until we have his name on a piece of paper and an announcement made. And I just cannot understand why we would take such a momentous risk. Because if Eddie House says no, I don't know where we're going. If I, I, I if I was in Roy Keane's shoes and we approached him after Eddie House said no, I would tell us to get fucked. I would tell us to ram it and I would leave us scrambling because that's what we would be. And then you're looking at that point, you're looking at a Jack Ross style appointment, unless New Ennard doesn't have a job by then. <laughs> 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 
<coughs> I, th- I think as well, uh, I mean, we talk about this in the podcast all the time, and when, I, when it comes to Eddie Howe, I'm quite, deci- I'm quite decisive within the group. I don't believe at this present moment, I mean, it's just my personal point of view, I, I just, long it takes, and it's all drawn out, and you look at Roma hiring Jose Mourinho within three hours, Anthony, me personally, I don't believe Eddie Howe will be the manager, which leads me to believe that we're going down the road of scrimping around because Eddie Howe said no, or he's looking at a Premier League job, and as James rightly alluded to there, where do we turn to? Roy Keane, he's not my choice, but if Celtic ask him, he has the right to say no, because again, who wants to be a second, third, fourth, fifth choice going into a club, knowing that's where you're starting, knowing that's your starting point? And, honestly, we talk about it all the time, this mammoth rebuild, and to be fair, James brought up a point there, we may not even be ready for Europa League level, never mind SPFL level as well. So we, we have to challenge on, on all fronts. We'll have to be ready and kicking to go. And at the moment, I can just see that there's just no progression plan. And that's been the that's been the main problem this year anyway from the board. Yeah, and, and yeah, but going back to what we said before, that this is a recurring theme for the people that run currently run our club are concerned. They constantly refuse to, or they either refuse to, or they're, they're just, or they, they don't have the vision to build on a position of strength. And if you're a guy in the dugout with any level of talent or ambition, you can understand why they don't stick around too long. As I say, the, the way that Brendan left left a very, very sour taste. Don't don't get me wrong, but. When, when hindsight comes in, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And the, the more you, you you connect the dots, the more you you look at the little you know the little points where that you know the the entire sort of relationship broke down. You could see that it was inevitable, and you actually can't blame them for looking at a club like Leicester City and saying, "Yeah, you know what? I, I'll I'll, I'll fancy that because you know for all." There's a lot of basket cases uh, down in England. I don't actually regard Leicester City as one of them. Um, you can totally understand um, why he would leave. But like you're saying, going out, go, looking looking ahead, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I agree, and I've, I've said that in the group chat, and I've said it to anyone that, that cares to listen, uh, that follows Celtic, same as me. I think the Champions League is, uh, is so much, it's so much of a, it's more, it's, the champ Celtic being in the Champions League is more of a pipe dream for me than the European Super League at this minute in time. I, I just I can't see it. Not with the um, not with the, the level of opponent we would be up against in that side of the draw. As James says, I mean we've only been in the Champions League was it twice in the last six seasons. Um, yeah. So and and that's from having a far superior squad than what we have now having a. A, a, you know, a far better manager, and you, you know, just being on the, the sort of you know, if you want to inverted commas, easier side of the draw. But would would, would any of you guys fancy a a, a night over in Sedova or anywhere like that? And you know, with, with this mob, I, I certainly wouldn't. I am. Um, you, you, there is there's a lack of trust between the supporters and the and the team. The now you, you can't trust them uh, to turn up for for anything. The fact that we were. Sort of really try to sugarcoat a, a, a victory over, you know, Falkirk or whoever it was. With a, I think it was at Livingston with the six 0 win over, and we were, you, you know, it, it, we, we, it just shows you how how far standards have, have dropped, um, and and I don't see them sort of raising again until at the very least we get 
a guy announced, and I hope that's Eddie Howe. I think, it, like John, I think it will be Eddie Howe. I'm pretty certain it'll be Eddie Howe, but I'll, I'll, I will uh, hear you as well, Stephen. Until that's signed, sealed, and delivered, then anything's possible. Yeah, yeah. I, I, as well, like, I mean, I, I get you know yourself, guys. I mean, especially in the group chat. I'm always called things like negativity and stuff, but I think I'm coming from a realism point of view. John, Eddie Howe, yes, he, he's the he's the you person everyone wants. No, because I'm coming to you next because you're the, you're the next person on my list. I'm taking people off once once we go. Yeah. So you you're a big fan of Eddie Howe. You've made that clear, and you're, you're confident, like the other guys are, and James as well. He he wants Eddie Howe, and we all do. Yeah. But surely, surely to God, after what we've seen again on the weekend, factor in the cup game, he's won three games in eight, one against the League One team. There has to be something coming out of this club this week. We said countless times, we said every time we're on, but come on here. I, I don't understand why the board are reluctant to say anything, just anything at all at the moment. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it, 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 like, as I say, it's baffling that they've not come out and said something or not even gave us just even a wee, just a wee snippet of something. Just, a, a, just anything, really. Just to sort of, like put some minds at ease like see see even if uh, Eddie signed and it's that information is no came to light yet if that is the case just come out and say it and then tell us he's not coming in until this point because whatever the reason might be um, like I say there's a variety of reasons why he might be not be announced yet um, you, you hear things and you can only speculate right we, we don't know but I mean and this is the thing, when when you've got so little coming for the actual club itself, all you can do is just sort of um, guess. It's all guesswork, right? And that in itself uh, just creates problems because then, like we've done on this podcast and like many fans are on, on various different forums, uh, it's constantly you're, you're, you're asking questions like, who's it going to be? Is it going to be this guy? Everybody that comes out of a job, or even people that are still in a job, are getting linked. And the the the, the, the level on uns- what? What did you say there? <laughs> I, I thought I heard you wrong. Sorry. <laughs> well, everybody that's unemployed at the minute in a managerial role is getting linked with a job. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what you're hearing, but the I and and ultimately it. it there's just a, a sort of eerie discontent at the minute and there needs to be something done as soon as possible, he says, because time is running out and, and the longer this drags out, the, the less time we've got ultimately to, to get things moving forward and get ourselves prepared. Um, unlike um, James, uh, and uh, I, I don't know whether or not Anthony maybe agree with me, but it, when it comes to Europe, I'm not expecting anything this coming season and if we get anywhere in any sort of European competition, uh, if we make the Europa League group stages, I'd be absolutely delighted, but I'm expecting nothing for Europe this year. And this year, uh, my primary focus and, and, and uh, all I care about uh, is getting this league title back uh, and making sure we qualify for the Champions League proper next year. That, that by and large, is the, the primary goal, and I, I don't care about anything else. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with you on, on that, John. I mean, there's the old saying that the league is our bread and butter, but Europe's just your wee slice of walls via netter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I'm not expecting much myself. I, I do agree with you, um, especially the Champions League. I, I, I can't see it happening. But as, I think just as James alluded to, in terms of 
how financially catastrophic failure to to um, to qualify for anything uh, any of the the European competitions would be. Um, I think, but 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 yeah, like you say, in terms of the what what we would regard as as success next season, and you know, I said that last week that it's it's got to be we need to get that title back. That, that there's is. an argument to be made that next season is actually potentially even maybe not in terms of the historical uh, significance of it, but in terms of getting that title back and like you say, getting right back into Europe. It's next season is every bit, if not more important than what. Um, the 10 was this year. Yeah. And uh, just to touch on what you said there as well, um, it's Europe for us uh, is the best way we can really make money because we've not got the same sort of level of income as any of the other top leagues in Europe. Uh, and I think we're, we're well aware of where we stand in that respect. So club like Celtic uh, and that, we, we do look to Europe, but obviously for a bigger source of uh, sort of additional income in that respect. Uh, but I think next season, um, We've got enough, I think we're financially sound at this point, we've got enough to be able to go the year without it. As long as the, the you're winning the league next year, and that, that being primary, and that being the number one uh, obvious outcome, uh, then qualifying for the Champions League proper uh, the following year, the, the windfall for that in itself would more than make up for, for me anyway, uh, no making any sort of European competition this year. Yeah. Um. Another thing, Um. just to sort of touch on um, regarding Howe's appointment. If, if he does come in uh, obviously we don't again it's all sort of hearsay but you, you can only sort of guess at the reasons why it's not coming out. We can say as much as we like as we want on these sort of podcasts and, and posting online um, about the reasons for it but by, ultimately we don't know um, and there may well be a reason. If there's not a reason then it just further shows the, the how 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 far um, the border uh, for the fans and, and that sort of disconnect um, and they, they clearly don't care but if there is a reason, I hope that comes to light when the managerial appointment's made uh, I hope that, that there's a full statement because the, the fans deserve that explaining why it's taking so long um, and I'm, I'm hoping as well because I know how Celtic fans can be but we're very critical and I'm hoping that Celtic fans don't jump on Eddie's back straight away if he doesn't make any sort of impact in Europe straight after, the, right after the, the bat because he's he, the the size of the rebuild uh, he's he's coming into uh, is is phenomenal and as long as he gets he stables the ship and and we perform in the league that's what he should be judged on his first season. Yeah, I mean. I've, I've almost got fizzings uh, James of Eddie Howe's first pitcher if he gets announced as a Celtic manager of him. And just in the background is like 11 new players. <laughs> Eddie Howe plus 11. I mean, <laughs> that, that would be that would be the best case scenario. Like he's out, outside now working on who he's bringing in. He's doing the old Harry Redknapp, bringing the likes of Cranshaw and all them types of players to follow suit. Like the way when Harry Redknapp went to different clubs, they all follow them. But coming to yourself, James, here, um, we, say, we talk about the rebuild and we've touched upon this in the podcast before. In terms of homegrown talent within the SPL, the, the, the top league itself, is there anyone within the top league that would you think would suit Celtic next season? What comes to mind for me is the likes of Josh Doidge at Hibs, Alan Campbell at Mullerwell, and Lewis Ferguson as well. As much as he's been, he, he's obviously related to the Ferguson's he played for Rangers, I don't really care about that. He, he's a good player, but is there any homegrown talent that you would have at Celtic? Yeah, you've just listed two out of three. Um... 
I would take Lewis Ferguson in two seconds. Alan Campbell. Alan Campbell's top of the list. Alan Campbell's number one with a bullet because uh, you can build the the midfield around him and Turnbull. And I know people are going to say, ah, oh, Motherwell players. You know what? It doesn't matter where they start. It's where they end. Right? You know, there's a point where David Turnbull is no longer David Turnbull ex-Motherwell. David Turnbull is now David Turnbull of Celtic. And that's the kind of mentality that you need to have about these guys. Now, I mean, there's people like Greg Taylor who you look at and you don't really see any improvement. And fair enough. You know, we took a shot on Greg Taylor. Uh, some people call it a cheap option, but we took a shot on a young, promising, upcoming Scottish player, and it has not worked out so far. But then I don't think you can judge Greg Taylor yet because he's played in a, a, a team that was a complete mess, um, a team that was falling apart. See, I mean, I said this in the last podcast about Shane Duffy. We've watched Shane Duffy playing in the Premiership, and cruising through games. And I cannot believe that the Shane Duffy of the English Premiership is the same Shane Duffy who's played up here in the SPL. So I, I, it's hard to judge somebody like Greg Taylor when you've watched the regression in a player like that. But Alan, Cam, um, Alan Campbell Motherwell is, a, is, is an absolute must. He's number one. Lewis Ferguson, the argument in favour of signing Lewis Ferguson gets stronger the more that guy plays, the more you watch that guy play. He's an absolute class act. There's no question that he would enhance the Celtic squad and eventually the Celtic team. And then there's Ryan Portis at Hibs, who'd be my third choice, and I'm going to grab him before some English club takes him away and we're watching him in the Champions League in a few years' time because I think he's a great player. And I, I, I'm sorry that there's nobody at right-back or left-back who I would take right now because it would be nice if we could go at least and find a squad player in those positions um, I don't see anybody on the wing I thought there was only one striker who was worth looking at um, before he left Aberdeen um, would have been Cosgrove who, who would have done a job in the Celtic forward line that no other player could have done or has done for a long time and he would have provided us with a big batting ram type guy and we need one of those um, but he alas is no longer there but I like Nisbet Hibbs. I think he was like I think he's he's leveled up really well. And I think that in a couple of years' time he's gonna be one to watch, but not right now. Yeah. I, th- I think Ryan Portis is a great side. I think if he sorts out the, his aggressive side of things of the game, he will be a fantastic defender. I've I've always liked him playing for Hibbs and Alfie, I don't know about yourself. We look at the rebuild all the time here. We we have touched upon homegrown talent before in terms of our previous podcast, but I think it's important to talk about players that could eventually end up at Celtic. And as as James rightly said, there are likes of Alan Campbell. People will be laughing, saying, oh, he played from Motherwell, blah, blah, blah. But you have to look at this. Aston Villa is saying John again from Hibs, and I look at him. No one's laughing now. But what, what what's your opinion on the homegrown talent side of things? Do you think that's where Celtic need to focus on this rebuild? It's, they certainly have to focus uh, a, a significant part of it, yeah, just in, in purely in terms of uh, you know the, the, the finance uh, that is involved in what this rebuild is going to cost as well. Um Anyone who turns their nose up at Alan Campbell um, because of the club he plays for um, clearly know nothing about football. Um, And anyone that needs a a history lesson on some of the players we've um, purchased from Motherwell over the years, uh, you know, Brian McClare, Phil O'Donnell, you know, it's uh, not a bad little, uh, not a bad little well to go to, so to speak, (laughs) for players. um, I think Alan Campbell's a a, a terrific young player. I remember the, the year that we won the the double treble in 2018, he was marked up as one of the players to watch in the final at that point. Um, 
that just shows you how highly regarded he was. Um, you know, the, the tenacious Alan Campbell, they call him, and that's what we're crying out for. Perhaps he he's maybe the, the long-term uh, successor to Scott Brown. Uh, you just Absolutely. never know. Uh, um, in, in terms of... Uh, you know, maybe not necessarily saying homegrown in terms of you know youth. I'm just trying. To, you guys, you guys have sort of named it the main ones. I'm thinking purely if you're. I mean, we're going to be so short up front uh, next season. Is there maybe a place for a guy like Shankland? I don't know. He's he's maybe not quite hit the heights as as what he did last season. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really struggling to elaborate any more on on the ones that you guys touched on. Perhaps. Perhaps as well, looking at Hibs again, um, it would have been more of a Johnny Hayes type signing. Um, there was, a, but there was a lot of um, people talking last season about perhaps getting um, Boyle in from from Hibs, and I think it, it would have necessarily just essentially been a right sided version of Johnny Hayes. Um, but you know that sort of you know the, the classic term he could do a job for us. Um, maybe you know Saturday Saturday home games at, at three o'clock against you know Kilmarnock somewhere like you know you can you could fit him in there. But in terms of that, I think the the main ones are the guys that you've um, already mentioned, and I, and I would have them. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Porteous um, as well. I must admit. Yeah, I mean. As as well, you have to look at it. I think we have to take advantage going forward of the the compensation fee that another one that where you pay down like then you get the, the young player like we're done with Musa Dembele from Fulham. Um, as as Liam Shaw said, it's been confirmed, hasn't it? I think so. Yeah, I, I, so. I, I think I, yeah. I think, well, I, I tell you what, I don't actually think it was Celtic that announced it though. I think it was Sheffield United that, that, that did. So, so there, there we go. When we know then, Sheffield United have posted more about Celtic this season than what Celtic have. And then there's there was a speculation around a young striker called Kyle Joseph from Wigan. I think that's kind of went dead. I think he's aiming for a move to stay down there. But come to yourself, John. So you look at the likes of Josh Doyd, Alan Campbell, Kevin Nesbitt. Ram Porteous, and if you're going down a wee bit, you look at Jimmy Hamilton, the place for Hamilton, funny enough, and he's a good young up and coming defender as well. But going forward for the rebuild anyway, for me, as as Anthony said, the finance side of things, especially, it's fatal that we have the scout network in place, especially UK, Ireland, Scotland, so we can take advantage of any players that are up and coming, or even a player in the team that's doing well and could do a job of Celtic, surely. No, absolutely, um, and it, it's it's even more important now than it's ever been because of the whole uh, the Brexit thing uh, and the, the, the basically the criteria that players need to meet now outside of the UK in order to even play in the country. So it, it's 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 extremely important that the the sort of the scouting network is well versed in um, top sort of players uh, up and coming as well, young guys throughout the UK as a whole. Uh, Scotland, England, Ireland, Wales. Um, we need to be looking at these primarily, uh, I think, um, going forward, because th- there is a lot of talent here, um, and there's a lot of great young players that are coming through as well that can develop well under the right guy as well. So um, I, th- I think that the pool that we have within the UK um, should definitely be looked at and watched with, with great interest uh, and, and with great importance. Um, but uh, absolutely, the, the, whoever we bring in, regardless, uh, is going to need to know their stuff, and they need to be doing their due diligence on any player before they bring them in. Which which sort of baffles me at the minute because as it stands, we don't have a guy uh, in the door. At least uh, <laughs> yeah. we're led to believe, but we're still signing guys. So where where is this coming from? Who's making these decisions? What is it that's actually happening? Um, 
and, and what do we need to do uh, in order to ensure that um, whoever it is that is coming in, uh, uh, these guys that the, the incoming manager wants, or is this the, the, the board uh, at their best, uh, Law getting these last couple of bits in before he leaves? Um, bye. Uh, just going back to it, there's a lot of great talent within Scottish football itself. Uh, there's a lot of great young talent um, throughout England as well. Um, we heard story for like, and, and, and it still amazes me. But that interview we did with David Webb, and how he found uh, Wilfred Zaha playing non-league, Sunday league stuff uh, as as a young guy, um, going looking right through grassroots uh, and finding yeah. these sort of players uh, and just giving them a chance. So I think that whoever we bring in needs to focus heavily on the youth side because we've got great players within our youth setup as well. Uh, that we could develop uh, and turn into great players. So, I think we need that. That's where we're going to need to focus primarily going forward. as as the sort of UK market. Yeah, I, I think you're hundred percent right there as well. And um, just before we move on to the famous quiz between Anthony and James, I want to bring up a point that that is seen today. That kind of been it's kind of been left to the side, but it's been out there in the news anyway. Um, especially Celtic pages. Andy Walker has been banned from Celtic Park. Um. He's a commentator for Sky Sports, a former Celtic player. He was in the centenary year and the, all that kind of thing. And I don't know, I think it's mainly because of what he was saying about Dubai. And it goes back years, so I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about it. But I found it a bit like, well, what's going on here? But James, coming to yourself, in terms of the ex-players, like of Andy Walker, Charlie Nicholas, me personally, I don't I don't know. Charlie Nicholas needs a ban. Yeah, no, but... And for me, I, I don't agree with most things that they say and stuff, but isn't that like the case of, I mean, this, this is going to sound like a terrible thing to say, but like in terms of lemons, but freedom of speech so they can say what they want? Um, well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm all for freedom of speech, right? I mean, my God, um, it's, it's the newspaper's ability to write whatever nonsense they want that covers my back when I write whatever nonsense I want. So I'm quite happy. About, I'm quite happy for freedom of speech, but it's all very well for a guy to insult you in the street. But a completely different thing for a guy who you've invited into your living room to insult you. And there are some journalists and some publications, for that matter, who shouldn't be within miles of Celtic Park because all they ever do is find excuses to criticise or they make stuff up. I mean, there's an example just. From, from this week, I mean, John Kennedy's famous director of football story, which is absolute nonsense, right? Kennedy said the next day that it was made up, right? You, can, you cannot get a more clinical termination of a story than that, right? And yet the Daily Record resurrected the same story the very next day. I mean, it's, it's incredible, right? You've got a guy like Michael Gannon today who's telling Callum McGregor for your own good, leave Celtic Park. These are the guys who are supposed to be promoting Scottish football, and he's trying to sell one of the best players in Scottish football to some team in England, right? And, and this is what these guys do. They, we're in a war with some of these guys. These, these, guys are, these guys are the enemy, right? They're on the other side. And to have these people sitting in our house, that's, that just shouldn't happen. It just sh it shouldn't happen. Andy Walker is, is one of the stupidest people earning a living in the British media, right? I don't like the guy. I don't like lots of stuff that comes out of his mouth. But the idea that we are letting people like Michael Gannon sit in Celtic Park when Andy Walker gets banned is, is laughable, right? It's laughable. 
This this, this is a guy who who's he's, he's not paid for doing the news, right? Andy Walker doesn't break stories, and so Andy Walker doesn't invent stories either. He doesn't lie about the club. He's critical, and sometimes he's too critical, and sometimes he's critical just for the sake of opening his mouth and saying something negative, right? But you can't ban someone for that. There's people who accuse me of doing the exact same thing. When I sat down every morning to start work, Andy Walker wasn't banned because he told lies about Celtic or stirred up trouble at Celtic. He was banned because he criticised the decision-making of our board of directors, and that's not a valid reason for banning someone. That's exactly what they've done. That's exactly what they do. This is What's happened this week with Andy Walker being banned from Ibrox? It's typical of the Ibrox bully boy attitude. When they're on the, when they're on top, they've got to make sure that no only are they on top, but that everybody feels what it's like to be under their boot. And that's all they do. It's shameful for the club to be acting in the same way. And I'll tell you something else. I don't think we would have banned Andy Walker until they did. And we're hiding behind what they've done because we feel, I think, if we are on the same side as them on this, the Sky can't take action against either club for fear of having to take action against both clubs. And I think it's cowardly as well. That's a ridiculous decision. It's completely unjustified. Yeah, I mean, I can hear it in your voice that where, where you're coming from there. And you're, I think what you're saying there in terms of Celtic kind of following suit behind Rangers, there's points to this season, even in a whole as well, just the, the whole stance, the whole way we've been getting on in terms of the board and they're not, they're still, I mean, they're, as you said, likes of Michael, Michael Gannon come out and telling players to leave and you're going to yourself, what's going on here? But Alfie, coming to yourself in terms of Andy Walker, I know he's not everyone's favourite guy, but are you on what the kind of weird length uh, James is there? Absolutely. I would second uh, every word of it. I actually just quickly um, seen James's article on it just before we, we started recording. Um, you, you know, Andy Walker is is you know he's he's not going to be graduating for Harvard anytime soon, and you know he's not um, he's he's by no means either um, what I would class as anywhere near um, even decent uh, at punditry either. Um, he's certainly no Michael Stewart or or any or any of those uh, guys of that level, but he is banned for basically criticizing criticizing the people that run Celtic. With, with and he's doing it with validity. He's he's making valid points with regards to that. Um, and and as James alludes to the fact that we allow other um, journalists and in inverted commas and um, and other media outlets in to Celtic Park and, and and ban Andy Walker, I think is a is a disgrace. And uh, even just to 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 finish it on it as well, it's even the the optics of it. Look ridiculous as well because it's been announced the day after uh, Rangers have decided to do it for them making a perfectly valid point that they're in a perilous financial state. That's not that's not lies. That is that is the truth, um, and it just seems that this sort of Trump kind of post truth era of you know shutting people down and closing people out that are prepared to stand up and tell the truth no matter how much you might disagree with them a lot of the time but people that tell the truth should be backed not bullied by people who supposedly should know better but as as we've alluded to far too often and especially this season for whatever reason we seem very very eager to to sort of Re, you know, resurrect the old firm ink. You know that you know the, the the you know the, the both Glasgow clubs. You know to get together as one on certain fronts. Um, 
I, I, it just I, there was very few, very little left that I thought could surprise me or shock me about Celtic this season and the the people that run our club. But I, I, I couldn't believe it when I seen that um, that they'd followed suit uh, with our friends across the Clyde and and banned Andy Walker. It's ridiculous. And as much as it is for me to defend Sky Sports and anything ran by Rupert Murdoch, I hope Sky Sports throw the book at us. I really do. If there's any legal, if there's any, anything legal, if there's any legal avenue they can go down, um, I, I, I would support it as a Celtic season ticket holder. I would support it. Yeah, I mean that's the that's that's the really crazy thing about this, right? It, uh, uh, of all the of all the arguments to get into with the media, right? This is the hell we've chosen. This is this this is the ditch we've chosen to die in. This one here with Sky Sports, because yeah. at the end of the day, we're not going to win this. There is no there is no upside to us doing this. We're not going to win this. It's guys both decide that they're going to penalise the whole of Scottish football for the stance two clubs have taken. The two clubs are going to have to back down. It's, it's, it's mental. It's, it makes no sense for us to be getting involved in this. It's, it's, it's another yeah. example of this ball on Ibrox into a fight that does us no good and which we will not win. It's mad. Yeah. And John, what about yourself? What, what, what are you standing on the, the Andy Walker argument? Uh, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with these guys. It's... I mean, the guy, whether you like him or no, he's entitled to say what he wants. These media personalities get, but they're paid to talk, right? And that's all they're doing. Um, and the stuff Andy Walker says, it's not like it was made up. It's not like it's a lie. We're all no. well aware. It, it, it's fact. It's true. Uh, if the Celtic board don't like it, then and they're banning them because of it, then they need to. The Celtic fan base at large feel like that. We know that the the whole Dubai thing was a shambles. And the way it was orchestrated and everything else was was it was just it was a mess, right? And again, it comes to these things. It's like is Celtic doing this just because Rangers have done it, or is there anything else to it? Because to think that they're they're banning a media personality just because of an opinion is which he's more than entitled to is absolutely ridiculous. And we all these media sort of outlets uh, that do the same that report, that's what they're doing they're, they're doing what th these guys are paid to do right? whether it's made up, whether it's a load of shite uh, or whether there's fact in it that's their job and that's what they're, 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 they're essentially they're discussing, I don't like Andy Walker, I don't like a lot of the stuff he comes out with I, I made a snide comment about Charlie Nicholas should get a ban but I don't believe that either that was just tongue in cheek uh, but again he's another guy who just talks absolute shite and some of the stuff he comes out with is baseless and it's he, he, again. He's just talking, and, and Commons is another one. And he's it's some and absolutely disgusting. <laughs> but I mean, it, disgusting. but I, you're right, and it, it's. But ultimately, as a club, we need to be the bigger man, right? We need to just realise that this is all part and parcel of the game. You make decisions, people are going to talk about it, and if that's the case, you then you need to you need to stick by that and if you're going to stick by that then you need to ban everybody who's had anything negative to say about the club it, yeah. it, it's just Thanks. an absolute mess and they're, they're, they've dug themselves a hole now uh, and it'd be interesting to see how they're going to get out of it yeah. yeah I mean as well I think that's perfectly summed up from all three of you guys in, in terms of the Andy Walker thing and the Charlie Nicholas thing about Brown as James was going to say is is ludicrous and we could spend all night talking about that I think picking that apart there's no point because all, we all know Scott Brown's an icon a legend yeah. Let, let us through the nine in a row, the quadruple winning captain, 
there's so many things you can say about the guy. But in terms of, of the main show, that's us done, guys. So deep breaths again. We're going to move on to the quiz. And it's going to be between <laughs> Anthony and James this week. <laughs> if, Perfect. If, if you guys are ready, let me know. So basically, James, it's five questions. And uh, the first of three, I'm not too technical. Whoever wins, wins. So the first question is, which was Gordon Strachan, Strachan's first trophy as Celtic manager? The League Cup. The CIS Insurance Cup. That was the League Cup, yeah. One nil down for me. And it was 3-0. <laughs> it was 3-0 that day that we beat them firmly. Who scored the goals? Sean Maloney, Dion Dublin, Magic Zarowski. Jeez. Well done. 2-0. I barely can't even process the question. And if you get this, Anthony, you win, so you can go for a hat-trick here. There was something different about the Celtic shorts that day. What was it? Uh, they all had Jimmy Johnson's number on it. Uh, so they all had the number seven wow. on it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> 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 Alfred has, he must have found a page where I get my quiz questions. <laughs> okay, well, I'll actually just, before we go, just, so, just so James knows and so all the other listeners know, um, the regular contributors to the show do not get the questions in advance. <laughs> I, I absolutely guarantee that. Um, <laughs> because I, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's all fair, I promise. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm James as well. Thanks for coming on again. Have you enjoyed this one? No problem, it was a pleasure. No worries. I'll probably have you on again in the future to talk all things Celtic when it's a bit more positive. And to my co-host John, thank you and a regular show contributor Anthony. Have you enjoyed it? Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, but, oh, I mean, as much yeah. as it's been, uh, it's not been, uh, not been the most uh, you know enjoyable subjects to try and 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 get through and trying to sort of narrate how how you're feeling at the, at the moment. But um, yeah, it's always great coming on uh, talking to you guys and um, especially as well. Thanks again to, to to James for coming on and giving up his time. No yeah, and, and also to make the listeners aware, we have another football guest coming on within the next couple of weeks, Lewis Toshney. He's well known around Scottish football circles. He played for Celtic and he's played for mm-hmm. likes of Ross County and Kilmarnock. So it's going to be a good insight into his career, something to look forward to. And until Friday, our regular podcast, stay well and keep safe. Hail, hail. <laughs>